0: Now, let's talk sports with Kanoa Leahy on ESPN Honolulu.
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome. It's another edition of Let's Talk Sports. Kanoa Leahy here in the PAXA studios in Honolulu. And uh, being joined here, uh, the guy who's being my guest co-host for the day. Uh, he is my partner in the booth for Spectrum Sports pay-per-view coverage of University of Hawaii Football. And he is on occasion my golf partner as well. Rich Miano is in the house. He is our resident football guru.
0: What's up, Richie Rich? One guy happy, Kanoa, kicked my butt Why would I be happy? Yesterday. What? And then the other guy a little bit needs to work on his game level. <laughs> It, but I am happy because we're going to do this every Monday following the University of Hawaii yes. uh, football broadcast on Spectrum, and I'm super stoked about recapping and uh, revisiting the game. Football season is
1: upon us. Uh, you have uh, enjoyed the offseason, going to various corners of the globe, Greece among the locations, and uh, yeah, now it's kind of time to uh, kick it into gear, so to speak. Uh, the, the first game is upon us, Hawaii taking on Vanderbilt. Uh, the game notes, thus the depth chart officially made public as well. Uh, let's just get started there, shall we? Since that's sort of the, the area that you and I uh, work together uh, to, to broadcast. And, and just anything that stood out to you about the two deeps uh, that were released here with the University of Hawaii game notes. Uh, I think it's some of the main positions, right, quarterback, and some of the, the positions that stand out a little bit more uh, that we've been talking about more uh, in terms of, like, the defensive secondary, even at the running back position. It doesn't seem like there are a whole lot of surprises uh, when you get into some of the other uh, trench positions, right, on the D line, uh, certainly maybe a, a couple of spots on the offensive line, and in the skill positions at the wide receiver spots. Uh, maybe some names that... Uh, Weren't quite on the radar uh, at the beginning of camp, but certainly showed their worth uh, throughout camp uh, as they earned their way at least onto this depth chart, which is never totally official uh, until you see guys take the field on game day. But what stood out to you,
0: uh, Stephen McBride, the wide receiver from Kansas, the transfer? He. he is probably 1A when you talk about talent. He's a little bit thin, needs to continue, although he was thin at Kansas. and Well, he's listed like...
1: at 165, so that's that's pretty thin. Yeah. yeah, and
0: you know when they list you at that, he may be 155, <laughs> but he's a heck of a football player in terms of linear speed, yeah. you know, catching radius, athleticism, so I think he's going to uh, be a bright spot in that offense. Then koali Nishigaya, I think, is going to see maybe 50% of time in that slot, especially against zone coverages. Really understand the uh, run and shoot offense, and then you know on the other side you got the Jonah Panoke and you and you got uh, Tylen Hines can play in that slot position as well. But the other kid is. Ashlock, yeah,
1: Pofele, Pofele, Ashlock, Pofele who, Ashlock, who is a freshman from Euless, Texas. He's played well, he has looked really good in camp. Um, I'm as anyone who has listened to the show knows, I'm a big Koali Nishigaya fan. I just he's the guy who has uh, been raised in the run and shoot system. Uh, he's a guy whose footwork is just really, really good. Uh, he is certainly diminutive uh, by nature compared to Pofele Ashlock, who is listed at 6'2, 175. Uh, Koali Nishigaya, 5'7, 165. At the moment, at least at that. That wide receiver position, they have koala Nishigaya listed behind Pofele. But again, that is with the inclusion of the tight end position, at least according to the way this depth chart is laid out. So we're going to see a lot of four wides because it is the run and shoot, but we will see uh, some uh, other formations as well. Personnel. We'll see 11 personnel. We will we will see perhaps Solo Vaipulu in the H-back position. And so we're going to see a variety here offensively from this Hawaii team. Uh, but I love Koala Nishigaya because he's just a guy who all always seems to find a way to get open. And I think that is going to be something to watch here on the offensive side for University of Hawaii football is Braden Shager, right? We make a big deal about how he put on 15 pounds. He's always had the arm strength, but now he's throwing, you know, BBs down the sideline. Uh, And we came up with the cool little term, the Shager bomb. And we hope to be able to use it on the broadcast this year and all that kind of thing. But... His key to success, and I would love to hear your viewpoint of this, uh, seems to be, and you start to hear Timmy Chang uh, talking about this when you watch practice a little bit more frequently, uh, is, hey, you know, he oftentimes refers to uh, checking down as take your medicine. If you got something open underneath, you don't have to always be gearing up and camping out and trying to make the big hero play. Take what is given to you, and I think that that's going to be key here to the success of this offense Uh, and particularly Braden Shager because, again, a guy like Kowale Nishigaya, perhaps a guy like Pofele Ashlock, uh, they are going to get open. I'm convinced of that. And if you can take advantage of that, then that would uh, theoretically speaking that would open up some other areas on the fleet.
0: Yeah, and you know, if you go to trips, which trips is a formation, three receivers to one side, that probably is 60-70% to of the equation, which is 70% of the offense and 10 personnel. So you're talking a lot of reps. The outside vertical Right, usually is just to clear out. So you're right about it's the underneath guys that are finding windows, that are working leverage in also, Grayson Morgan, the tight end. Mm-hmm. Am I saying his name correctly? Yes. He actually is going to be, I think, better as a receiver than Caleb Phillips was last year. Really a good athletic. Got a little shift to him. Got a little speed to himself. And I think he's going to be another important guy in this offense because it's the inside guys. It's the Ryan Grace Mullins. It's the Devon Best. It's the Chad Owens. It's the uh, Kaloha Polaris. Those guys usually rack up the yardage, right? And especially get those key first downs. So the whole thing about when you used to watch June Jones always walk out kind of almost illegally to the numbers as he would talk to his quarterback in between plays, same thing Timmy's gonna have to do is they're running a cover two. It's third and seven. This is what they do. The analytics are already proven this. Look for the flat route high-low the flat defender. Take what the defense gives you, and that's going to be important because Shaker does like to force the ball vertically, and that was a Todd Graham kind of philosophy is, you know, long uh, foul balls, but force the defense to kind of back up.
1: Well, and Timmy talked all last season about wanting to go over the top more and stretch out the defense more. I mean, there is certainly that thinking, but it's like one thing feeds into the other, right? Yes,
0: yes. So it's a matter of, to me how quickly Shager can really Understand the pre-snap look. What is the defense rotating to you? What is the disguise that they're showing you? How can the receivers get on that same page? And if they can get on the same page, and if they can catch the football and move the chains, they'll be a highly successful offense. And I like what you mentioned about Solo Vaipulu. Sometimes he's going to be in the backfield. That's a kind of a give in terms of the West Kalii Kipi, uh, the old days <laughs> Reagan with Ma-Ia. Reagan Ma-Ia, In terms of that's a passing set for them, but it helps them in protection. But but when you have Tylen Hines that can go back in the backfield, and then you have you have Solo Vaipulu who can go up to that H back position, the defense now doesn't know is it nickel personnel, is it dime personnel? What are their intent pre-snap? Mm-hmm. So that's a good kind of Uh, tell for the University of Hawaii offense that I think will be uh, really good to disguise their personnel.
1: You're a defensive guy so I want to ask you about the defense but uh, lastly on the offense um, you've been watching some of of the activity in practice Uh, how concerned are you about the development of the run and shoot, the implementation of it, Uh, how much do you think this offense is going to miss a guy like Zion Bowens who definitely did have the ability, not just the speed but the frame, uh, the ability to not get rerouted because he was a little more physical uh, and so he presented a little bit more of the downfield opportunities uh, had Hawaii been running perhaps this kind of system that Timmy Chang is trying to implement now uh, but they don't have him and as you mentioned you have some speed in Stephen McBride but again a little slight of build not quite the same physicality uh, just what are some of the things that you're um, if not worried about you are, are, are most closely going to be watching here on Saturday
0: Well, I still think, you know, the run and shoot to me in its purest form when, you know, you talk about why the run comes first in the run and shoot. Well, it's the Nate Ilawas, It's the success of the Alex Greens. It's the success of the running back. You can't rely on a quarterback to throw the ball 60 times a game. We're going to go up to Wyoming November 27th or something. I think it's 18th, November November 18th. 18th. We're going to go in some inclement weather. (laughs) There'll be some rain and wind whipping through. The Manoa oh, campus. And don't remind me. You have to run the football to be successful. But I do think when you look at this offensive line, it could be the shortest in Division One—not maybe history—but they go six feet, six feet, six feet, almost center, two guards. They may be listed a little taller, but trust me when I tell you. And then you got tackles at a six-two, six-three, maybe listed at six-three, six-four. But the thing is, is uh, between Sergio Mousao in. Bless me, not to Allah, but Maurice Ta'ala. Maurice Ta'ala. Yep. And then the smartest guy is the center, Aliki Tanuvasa. Yeah. He's, a, he's a coach on the field. It's those two tackles, Kanoa. And they're not going to be naked the whole game. When I say naked, there's no tight end in the run-and-shoot offense, so you have speed rushes, you have bull rushing, you have games going on, whatever else. Because you'll have some... In, back, in some instances, In yeah. some instances, maybe 30% of the time, you'll have Solo in the backfield picking up some, some of those stunts inside or outside. But the thing about it is... Those dudes have to be athletic. And we, we're we losing Ilma Manning. We're losing Micah Vanderpool, We're losing even Austin, I forgot his name, hey, the, the other right yeah, tackle. Was yeah, six, 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 seven. yeah. 6'6", hop. And so when you're short 6'3", six, 6'4", six, you don't have those long levers. You're not making people run around you. Protection will be the key to this offense.
1: Yeah, Josh Atkins, 6'4", 290, sophomore. Uh, he is the listed starter at left tackle. You have Kaena DeCambra uh, from W&I. He's a sophomore listed at six three three hundred. Uh, he is listed as uh, the starting right tackle. What do
0: they list in the center and the two guards? Uh,
1: they have a Eliki Tanovasa six two three hundred, Sergio Mualau six foot three ten, 6'4". and Maurice Ta'ala, 6'1", 3'15". Now, yeah. just <laughs> by comparison, right. just for frame of reference, <laughs> if you're looking at the starting offensive line for Vanderbilt, uh, for Vanderbilt, we will go from uh, right tackle to left tackle. Uh, their right tackle, their starter, six six three thirty. Right guard, six six three zero three. Center, six. 310 left guard 65361 left tackle 65321 so wow. you know we've talked about it right Vanderbilt might not be a top tier SEC team it's hard to be that because it's so darn good up there uh, at the top of the stack But they still have an SEC-like roster in terms of sheer size. And they'll
0: have athletic speed on the outside. And they'll have numerous bodies that can come in and play football. And the new running back, they lost the running back. I don't know if that's public yet in terms of he's injured for this first game of the season. But... The guy they recruited, and I don't know his name, but he's the real deal.
1: Yeah, no. Then, you know, obviously a different quarterback this year. The, the quarterback last year, Wright, uh, absolutely tore uh, Hawaii to shreds. Uh, but this, uh, so quarterback who's now a sophomore, A.J. Swan, was a freshman last year, still impressed in the time that he was out there. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, this, this is going to be a tough game. This is a, a Vanderbilt team that's just going to be really big. So let's flip the script and, and look at it from the – oh, you had something else well, to add? One
0: last thing on the offense. Landon Sims will get some yeah. reps at running back and that's Travis Sims' son, and yeah. it, it'll be interesting to see him. But yeah, that's the offense kind of in a nutshell. Doesn't
1: quite have the, uh, the Travis Sims' <laughs> calves, or like as Darren Hernandez would say, he doesn't have calves, he has cows. Those are the uh, classic Travis Sims' calves, uh, for sure. Um, Alright, let's flip it to, to looking at it from the defensive perspective. We mentioned the size of Vanderbilt. How difficult is this going to be for a defensive unit that I think we're all sort of in agreement? Looks like it has been improved. They seem to have more of an idea of what they are. They seem to have more experience. That defensive secondary, I think you could probably put up against just about any other yeah, team in the Mountain West when you're talking about the two corners in Edwards and Stone and then Peter Manuma and Mekki Pay, There's not going to be too, there aren't going to be too many defensive secondaries that are going to be better than that. What are the challenges here this week?
0: Yeah, And it's going to be a 4-2-5 so you are almost nickel exclusively when you see spread sets, whatever else. So C.J. Williams and yep. the nickel, they really love this kid. And he's backed up by the Bishop Gorman kid who can really play as well. So they got two nickelbacks. Talking about Elijah Palmer, and yeah. And they've got a third corner. And when you talk about JoJo Forrest and you talk about Cam, you're also talking about Verdell, Edwards, whatever. So you have three legit corners. You have two nickelbacks. And in the safety position, Peter Manuma, as well as Mekhi Pay. And then it gets a little deeper with that. Some of the other guys are coming. Matangi's gotten a little mm-hmm. better. And it gets a little bit more depth back there. I, I do think this is uh, at least a Mountain West good secondary.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, so what are the challenges here this week, though? When you go up against a team that has what will be the sheer size and expected physicality of a Vanderbilt offensive line and offensive unit, how okay. how do you counter yeah, that?
0: No, no, good question. So we, we don't... Ha- John Tuitepo eligibility. Oh, course. that's a whole other if, issue. My goodness. If, if he gets eligible, he's the kind of guy that can kind of neutralize that inside run game. And he's right? still listed as a starter, even though they have not gotten right. an official work yet. And that's scary, right? Because he's the most explosive D lineman I've seen maybe since Kennedy Tule Masiili. Now he has to be consistent. He has to continue to work on his conditioning and his consistency, but he does have that type of talent we're looking for inside. Now, the thing is, is, in with this triple option type of offense, you got to stop the inside run first. So whether that's the quarterback leading up in there behind the fullback, whether they're just giving it to the running back inside zone, what they call inside zone, whatever. And then on the perimeter, last year, their running backs, their receivers were more physical on the perimeter. We missed tackles, especially at that third level. The linebackers, you know, in and in they're – Better in terms of like Isaiah Tufunga has probably lost ten or twelve pounds. Well, he runs better, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he's more, he's quicker. But physicality at the point of attack will always be a question, especially when you run in a four-two-five because you have a nickel back instead of a stub linebacker. You have guys that can play on the inside, and, and and there's a bunch of them: Foy Shaw and some other guys, uh, what Sauce, Williams, Sauce Williams, Williams, yeah. whatever else. But they're not. Huge. Yeah. We could be bigger on both sides of the ball, and that would probably be more advantageous. Yeah.
1: You're, you're going to, especially if for whatever reason uh, JT does not get word that he is good to go. And I think they're holding out hope that like any minute now they will get some kind of notification. Mail. It really could be. <laughs> I mean, we've seen that happen uh, in some other instances. Uh, but I think they are going to, especially without JT, they're going to miss Blessment to Allah because that no guy question. was something special when it comes to exactly what Strength. we're talking about. Love oh,
0: man, we're talking UH football. Week zero is here. I'm so excited, man. The, the football I can tell. is the longest offseason. I'm <laughs> excited about the NFL. I watched Hard Knocks last night. You know, I'm really getting into this. I'm going to watch The Swamp, you know, the whole story of Urban Meyer in Florida. <laughs>
1: Disappointing, but we'll get into okay. that a little bit later. That's what I thought about, about The Swamp because I watched it as well. Uh, all right, we are going to uh, take a break. Not only is this the opening week of University of Hawaii football, but it's the opening week of University of Hawaii women's volleyball as well, and we're going to talk with one of the veterans on the other side of this break she's going to join us via the phone line uh, it will be outside hitter and defensive specialist for the rainbow wahine kendra ham is going to join us when we come back you're listening to let's talk sports What's up? Welcome back. Let's Talk Sports. Kanoa Lehi here in the PAXA studios in Honolulu. Uh, my guest co-host for the day is our resident football guru, Rich Miano. We're going to switch gears, though, here in this second segment of the show uh, and talk a little bit about another University of Hawaii team that is debuting this week, and that is the Rainbow Wahine volleyball team. That's right, after uh, a long off-season for them as well. Hawaii's going to get to work with the Hawaiian Airlines Rainbow Wahine Classic, uh, and this one's a doozy. You have Northwestern of the Big Ten Uh, in the house. uh, Also joining that field, San Diego nationally ranked and Oregon, a top 10 team that had a match point opportunity in the NCAA tournament last year to get to the final four uh, but unable to uh, put the finishing touches on a match against Louisville. So, uh, Some high quality volleyball will be played at Simplify Arena at Stan Sheriff Center. It starts Hawaii versus Northwestern 7 p.m. Friday. To talk more about that, we welcome to the show one of the vets on the squad. Outside hit kendra ham kendra how are you doing
2: great thank you for having me
1: well thank you for making the time i know it's a busy week uh but week one is here uh what happens to you you've been through this a few times as well as some of the other veterans on the team Uh, what do you start to experience and feel here as you count down the days to the season opener
2: I mean, like always, the nerves definitely ramp up a little bit, but mainly just excitement. You're excited to get out on the court. You're excited to play in front of the fans, and it's just you're excited to play with your friends on the court. You
1: got a little taste of it this past weekend with the open practice and scrimmage. Uh, You had several hundreds of uh, fans that were there at Simplify Arena, at Stan Sheriff Center. Much more unofficial capacity, though. Uh, But what kind of sense do you have about this group here, uh, this iteration of Rainbow Wahine Volleyball, uh, as to the level of competitiveness uh, it will be bringing to the court against Northwestern on night one?
2: I think we have a very solid group this year um, we have a bunch of returners and we have a bunch of really strong newcomers transfers that have really made practice just competitive and I hope some people thought the scrimmage um, we're really playing for each other and just going out there as a team we're trying to bring a lot of fire and no matter who's on the other side of the net we play together and we we can do big things this year for sure.
1: How does it work? When when you introduce a class of new faces, uh, of new players, additions to the roster, uh, how does that process begin as far as just getting to know one another, establishing like, hey, look, you know, this is the way it goes around here. This is the gym culture. Uh, how does that yeah. process and, and communication usually come about?
2: Um, well, we try before double days even starts with the coaches and everything. We're trying to get into the gym that beginning of July to really get everyone up to speed on how we run things, how like everyone contributes to everything. We have team meetings and we just try and take each other under their wing. And we do a thing where no one, everyone's voice matters. No one, no one person is in charge. Everyone contributes, everyone talks and it really makes a strong family culture where everyone trusts anyone to, a newcomer can tell me, Hey, work on this. And it's, like acceptable feedback I want them to tell me what I'm doing wrong and it goes both ways we just we're always there for no matter a freshman senior anything like you contribute all the same
1: we're talking with Rainbow Wahine outside hitter Kendra Ham, uh, one of the senior veterans on the squad. Of course, Hawaii getting started on the new season. Uh, opening night will be Friday against Northwestern. We mentioned San Diego nationally ranked Oregon, a top 10 team. They made it to the elite eight last year. Uh, what are you anticipating here this opening weekend? Uh, this is no joke. Robin, uh, Amo, your head coach, uh, she was not bleeping around when she put this schedule together for you guys.
2: No, of course. <laughs> um some good volleyball. We're going to go out there and give it our all, and no matter who's on the other side of the court, we're going to play Hawaii volleyball.
1: Yeah, that's a good answer right there. Speaking of Hawaii volleyball, you've been playing Hawaii volleyball for several years now, got your collegiate career started at Cal Poly, um, and what's interesting about you Kendra if you don't mind me saying is just uh, how uh, you have been able to uh, adjust to whatever has been asked of you you are listed as an outside hitter but last year uh, primarily a serving specialist and defensive specialist and put up some really really strong defensive numbers uh, third on the team with 226 digs what has been your approach and how is it compared to your expectations when you got to manoa
2: Um, I really had no idea. Like I've always, when someone asks me what my position is, I kind of just say, Hey, I'm there to do anything. Um, so whatever way that I can contribute, I am more than happy to do. If that's being a DS, I will put my all into whatever I can when I'm on the court. Um, if that changes to a different role, then I will put everything I can into that as well.
1: Uh, What were your expectations when you came uh, to Manoa? Because, you know, you went from one school in the Big West Conference to another program in the Big West Conference. Um, What was that transition like and and, and what was behind that decision?
2: Um, COVID really just, I mean, it kind of turned the world upside down. And I just needed a change of pace for myself and where I was at in life. And just I needed that second chance. And Coach Rob gave that to me, which I'll forever be grateful for. And I just had expectations to go in and try and play collegiate volleyball again and give it another shot and give it everything I could.
1: Talking with Kendra Hamm, uh, outside hitter, I guess we'll just say everything uh, player for uh, Rainbow (laughs) Aine Volleyball. Of course, they get started here this weekend. (laughs) Uh, You have uh, really kind of uh, been one of the uh, uh, veteran players for this squad. How have you adopted or where do you see your role in terms of being among the leaders now, the the veteran voices of this team?
2: Um, We try all... I think there's six of us seniors this year, and we just try anything that the younger ones have questions about or just within our own group of um, veterans, we just try to really work things out as best, best as we can, figure things out as a team, and just try to set that role model for anybody that's coming in, keep that culture really strong
1: going to be a little bit of a different vibe here this year with the Big West Conference establishing the championship tournament uh, for the first time. Uh, How much does that change the dynamic or add to the importance of this non-conference slate at the front end of the year?
2: Always going – our preseason is always a huge, huge emphasis for us – Definitely, you, you want to win as many games as you can, of course. Um, it definitely changed, I, I mean, it doesn't really change anything. The fact is, you want to win, you want to be first, you want to be those Big West champions. So, we just got to take care of preseason, because those are a lot of teams that we hope to see coming into that NCAA tournament, um, that we will get there. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think that the tournament really changes anything as far as our goals and hopes.
1: All right. Well, uh, hey, Kendra, we appreciate the time and and thank you so much. And we're looking forward uh, to this opening weekend. Again, it's going to be a doozy of a tournament. Uh, You have uh, San Diego made it to the final four nationally ranked team. You have Oregon made it to the elite eight. They're in the top ten. But you guys get started with Northwestern, a Big Ten squad. uh, And that is always no joke when you go up against a team from that conference. So we wish you the very best of luck. But it's going to be a lot of uh, great volleyball being played in Manoa this weekend. Go get them.
2: Thank you. See you Friday.
1: All right. Take care, Kendra Ham, veteran outside hitter for Rainbow Wahine volleyball, and an interesting story as mentioned. Got her uh, start at Cal Poly before deciding to transfer uh, to Manoa, and she has taken very well to the culture established by Robin Amo, Uh, and that's not necessarily an easy adjustment for a lot of players. I mean, with all due respect to Robin, she is a demanding coach. I don't think that's any secret, Uh, and so you know you got to kind of know what you're getting into, and I think in the case of Kendra Ham, it sounded like she did very much know uh, what she was getting into, uh, and here she is now on the back end of her career, and you got to kind of love the approach, right, of someone like that, Rich, and I'm sure uh, you have uh, dealt with some players like that in football, uh, where she's saying, hey, look, I don't really know what to tell people when they ask what my position is. I just tell them, like, I'm down to do whatever I can to help the team. you got to love that kind of approach.
0: Yeah, no, that's the kind of attitude you want to have, and she sounds like somebody that enjoys Always being coached by someone who's demanding. And the demanding coaches, these young people, trust me when I tell you, whether they like it now in in these years of their life, they will respect you and appreciate you more for loving them up first and always being there for them, but breaking them down when they do something wrong, when coaching them hard, when teaching them life lessons. All of that stuff is what college Athletics is all about.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And Robin
0: Amo, I, I love the fact that she's a disciplinarian.
1: Oh no, yeah, exactly. She she she's demanding uh, of of her players, and uh, she. What you can also say is because of that level of demand, she tends to get the most out of the teams uh, that she works with, uh, and you see it as the season goes on. They tend to get better uh, as the year progresses, uh, but they're going up against a doozy of a non-conference schedule, and this weekend uh, is just going to be off the chain as far as the level of competition in volleyball that's going to be on that TerraFlex. And, and
0: this will prove one of my theories, that Hawaii wants to see Michael Jackson, not Tito, so when they <laughs> they play Oregon, when they play USC or whoever they're playing in the Pac-12, whatever else, these big-name institutions, there will be a full house because people want to see top-tier teams, which Hawaii once was and should be and maybe could be. What about Jermaine? Like J- Jermaine, Jermaine, does that move the needle at all for well? you? Janet would be okay, <laughs> but it's all about the Michaels.
1: All right, we're going to go ahead and take a break. we got Rich Miano, a resident football guru who's in the house as my guest co-host for the day when we come back. A whole lot of other football stuff to get to. Uh, you're listening to Let's Talk Sports. Catch UH and NFL football at 850 Craft Beer and Whiskey Bar at Leeward Bowl. They're open at 6 a.m. Sunday. 6 a.m. showing all the NFL games. For Monday and Thursday night football, enjoy happy hour poo from 4 to 7 p.m. daily. For Hawaii football games, they'll have awesome menu specials as well. 850 is the home of the new video wall. You got to see that. It's the place for UH college and NFL football. I got my resident football guru, Rich Miano, in the house. Kanoa Leahy here. We're coming to you from the PAXA studios in Honolulu. 808-296-1420 is the number to call. Uh, You can also text in at that number via the Zephyr Insurance text line. Uh, All right, I wanted to get to this because this is kind of interesting. Um, There's a beef that is going on, a football beef, uh, between Hawaii's own Tua Tonga now Miami Dolphins quarterback, right? Dolphins with a lot of expectations going into this uh, upcoming NFL season and ESPN football analyst, former uh, Steelers defensive back, Ryan Clark, uh, because Ryan Clark was doing a little bit of chirping about Tua. Uh, and so basically, what did Ryan Clark say about Tua Tonga-Vailoa? Well, uh, Clark was added to ESPN's Monday Night Football coverage this week, uh, and in several posts on social media, uh, he says that the comments he made were in a joking matter. The initial uh, comments, though, were, uh, quote, let me tell you what he wasn't doing, talking about Tua. He wasn't in the gym, I'll bet you that. He might spend a lot of time in the tattoo parlor. He was not at the dinner table eating what the nutritionist had advised. He looks, quote, happy. He is thick. He's built like the girls working at Onyx right now. So he's basically calling out Tua for not taking care of what he needed to take care of in terms of working himself out, uh, getting his body ready. And so it was a slight, and a slight that Tua tonga has not taken too well. In fact, he has taken exception uh, to this comment. And remember, when you're talking about Onyx, uh, just so you know, uh, I didn't know, but we were able to read up about it in some of the reporting on this. uh, That is actually a strip club. So he's comparing Tua's prep uh, to an exotic dancer. Uh, This is what Tua had to say. My background, I come from a Samoan family. Respect is everything, but it does get to a point where, hey, a little easy on that, buddy. I think we're pretty tough-minded people, and if we need to get scrappy, we can get scrappy too. I'm not someone to talk about myself the entire time, but it takes a lot. You think I wanted to build all this muscle? To some extent, I wanted to be a little lighter. There's a mixture of things that people don't understand, that people don't know about, that are talked about behind the scenes. I'd appreciate it if you kept my name out your mouth. That's what I'd say. Rich Miano, your reaction to that?
0: Well, um, I, first of all, I agree with Tua in terms of, you know, as an analyst, if you're going to get paid, and Rex Ryan once told me that, you have to be controversial. You have to see, say things that are going to get clicks or whatever we're calling the social media world that we live in today. And... But to me that's an attack personally when you're attacking somebody's physique when you're talking about you know somebody's off season training and and as a polynesia polynesian and and one who believes in God and is god fearing like tua I thought the words were kind of okay, and then he said a little scrappy, and and it it could get more physical or more verbal, the confrontation. But uh, I'm disappointed in Ryan Clark, because you can talk about the performance on the field. You can talk about what you perceive, if you have an inside source that said Tua didn't work hard in the offseason, I know Tua's strength and conditioning coach personally. I know Tua's work ethic. But you also have to understand, quarterbacks are not built like Greek goddesses sometimes in the upper body because of the rotator cuff and some other things. Tua needs to be strong in his legs, he needs to be strong in his core, and he needs to make sure he has full range of motion for his arm to be as mobile as it's to, to be the length of lever to be as long as possible. That so I'm a little disappointed in Ryan Clark. I love Tua to death. Hopefully Tua will prove all the naysayers wrong. He is thicker this year and he did get a tattoo so those are all correct. <laughs> he got a tattoo how could an NFL quarterback or an NFL Player spend
1: any Especially time in of the offseason getting a tattoo. I can't believe it. Uh, this is what Ryan Clark said in response to the initial Tua comments. He referred to them as locker room jokes. Uh, an uh, exact quote was, as a person that has heard that joke about himself based on his glutes a ton of times, I was having some fun. This is what he told uh, South Florida-based trainer Nick Hicks. Uh, Tua is certainly thick in his glutes and lower extremities. hey uh, Also, like a ton of quarterbacks not particularly lean, I was having some fun because because heck, it's TV. Is that good enough for you? Uh, should rebuttal? that be good enough for Tua to be like, oh, okay, ha, ha We're just poking fun. Like, uh, you, uh, There, there seems to be. Uh, you, you hit it on the head, right? There seems to be a this time now in in both mainstream media as well as as some of the more ancillary platforms uh, there seems to just be this desire to like hey whatever can kind of get a reaction that's the that's the key to success that's what it's all about the most important thing now is not try to be the most credible. It's not, hey, try to have the most facts and the best information. It's how do I get popular? What is the easiest pathway to getting popular or more popular? And I actually have been a fan of Ryan Clark's analysis over time, but I think what happens is, you know, you, you, you get asked to make these uh, very concise comments in like a hundred different ways on a hundred different shows on the ESPN, uh, linear and digital platforms. And then after a while, it's like, well, I got to ramp it up, right? I got to somehow outdo myself. And you start to maybe get a little bit more extreme with some of the language, a little more extreme with some of the comments. And I think that that can then happen in a situation like this. Because as I mentioned, I kind of have always thought Ryan Clark was a pretty responsible commentator and analyst when it comes to football. But this seems to be one of those things where it's like, do you and Tua have it like that? Because that's the only way that you should feel comfortable coming at a guy, making a joke about him looking like uh, he has the body of an exotic dancer or something like that. If you and him have it like that. Like, if you and Tua have a relationship that allows for some of that back and forth, then maybe that's cool, but it doesn't seem as though that's the case. It doesn't seem as though he knows him well enough to do that, and so what then you have to retract yourself to is... Ryan Clark is a professional analyst, and he is making a comment on Tuatonga Vailoa's work ethic, and that has to be taken on its own merit. And if he's being uh, speculative and presumptuous about the kind of work that Tuatonga is, is is putting into his body in preparation for this season, knowing all of the background stuff, knowing the multiple concussion stuff that will haunt him and follow him. And, the, and, and will be something that people will watch closely all season long. You then have to deal with the backlash. You then have to accept the fact that Tua might not like that, and that might rub him the wrong way. And I think that Ryan Clark trying to just be like laughing it off, like, ah, it's all good. We're all poking fun because it's TV. It's like, well, that's... That's not really good TV in my opinion.
0: Yeah, but it keeps it in the spin cycle when you have a retraction and then Tua responds back and they keep this alive longer and longer and it keeps Ryan Clark's name out there. So the thing about, to me, is if you are a celebrity, if you are an NFL football player, if you are a star like Tua is, you cannot be sensitive. You should not necessarily even be listening to social media, although this would be hard to uh, keep out of your vision. You should not even be on um, some of these. I mean, he gets asked about it at a press conference. That's basically how it's it's hard to avoid. I always tell people, if you want to get your feelings hurt as an NFL football player, when the coaches (laughs) throw down their headset, get on the headset and listen to how coaches talk about players making mistakes, personas, uh, work ethics, whatever else. And then it goes into the locker room where it sometimes gets physical because guys take jokes too far and they personally insult you or your family and then it becomes physical. But when it becomes this social media type of deal and stuff like that, the best thing to it can do is is get rid of this flush it as quickly as possible Ryan Clark just took it too far too yeah. extreme especially the onyx quote yeah. about you know the stripper thing whatever else because we're in a world where fat shaming or whatever yeah. shaming necessarily is not a good thing it's not necessarily uh, construed by the general public as being if you can't say something positive but we, it goes back to if you say things that are positive if you are an analytic type of uh, analyst you won't get any clicks you won't get on Monday Night Football you almost have to be controversial yeah, I and know. it's sad
1: because I'm all Four. If you want to be critical of his play in any way, break it down. Break it down. I'm, yeah. That's that's your job. That's actually what you're there to do. Uh, there there seems to be a little bit more of this. Uh, l- Th- this this very subjective uh, speculation that he is bringing to the table that just doesn't seem to be warranted per his position uh, and and his position with ESPN. So, yeah, I, I, I can understand why that would rub Tua the wrong way, uh, and it doesn't seem like Ryan Clark is uh, all that interested in trying to uh, make amends, at least uh, at this point, uh, just yet. So, yeah, kind of interesting, because you played in Philadelphia, of all oh, places. Yeah. Uh, Marcus Mariota's now over there, right? Yes. And, hey, look, he threw a pick in a preseason game. And he started to hear it from that fan base. There is no, uh, perhaps no city where that bubble... Uh, can burst as quickly as it does in Philadelphia. Did you ever run into any of that kind of stuff?
0: 100%, you know, and that's why they throw snowballs at Santa Claus. That's why they have a jail <laughs> in the actual stadium itself. That's why, you know, people talk about uh, the fans of Philadelphia being the toughest. When I first went to the Eagles, you know, my first season, I think I had three interceptions and like 60 tackles, whatever else, and I was like a A- minus rating, whatever else, and the fans loved me, whatever else. And then as slowly as Jerome Brown died in a car, accident reggie white went to the green bay packers you know we had injuries on the d line and our and defense got decimated well all of a sudden the holes were that much bigger quarterbacks were looking you off that much longer they had more time to throw the ball and all of a sudden rich miano wasn't as good as a player as he was a year or two before well a lot of that has to do with your defense front but you don't want to get on the bad side of philadelphia because talk <laughs> radio there's nothing more biblical than wip yeah, yeah. In, in philadelphia Pennsylvania. Yeah, no,
1: which is going back to the point of, yeah, Tua probably can afford to be a little thicker skinned with some of this. If you can deflect it and laugh it off, then it ends the news cycle about it, right? And it sort of diffuses the whole thing. Uh, But I can also understand where it's like, I'm cool with it, to a point, yes. and I'm not sure if Ryan Clark wants the smoke of messing around with a guy uh, who is from a Samoan family, and oh, who has no. a network, an entire state, and you know, an entire fan base that is also sprinkled with a lot of very prideful people, so I don't know if Ryan Clark necessarily wants that smoke.
0: No, you don't, and I've been to, to his games, whether it's in SoFi, whether it's in Levi's, whether it's in uh, Hard Rock Stadium, whatever else, there is a Polynesian following that you would not want to destroy Disturb <laughs> uh, about Tua, Marcus, uh, Talanoa, any uh, DeForest. That's a tough group of people, and I'd be watching my back if I said something real negative about Tua.
1: All right, before we uh, take a break, just as an aside, uh, do you remember like any specific comment, like the worst comment? Keep it clean. Uh, the worst comment made about Rich Miano, like anybody that called into a radio show or anything like that. I think you were pretty well uh, respected over there, right? You were like the Italian guy in Philly. Well, they well, had to love uh, you, right? Well,
0: not only that is, how about this one? When I was with uh, Philadelphia, also Jerry Rice caught his 100 touchdown <laughs> yeah. pass on me, and it was on CNN. At the time, ESPN <laughs> just was in this gestation period, whatever else. But, yeah, so I've... Seen the negative press. I've heard things, and you're right. But I those are the weeks if I played poorly. One is I'm my own biggest critic. Two is I know when I go to that film room I'm gonna get roasted in front of you know all my teammates, which is the hardest type of criticism you could face. But three is don't listen to the radio yeah, on yeah. the way to work.
1: Yeah, no, that's exactly right. As mentioned though, they loved you over there in Philly. For the most man. part,
0: I'm still revered because I was <laughs> Italian. I yeah. was like you know one of those guys that was there during the greatest maybe defense and one of the greatest defenses in the history of football statistically and, and I enjoyed my times at all three of my stops but trust me when I tell you you miss a tackle it's just like throwing an interception and you know you get run over you going to hear about those things and again it's one snap and clear it's it's you got to get over it because the next play is the most important play.
1: All right well uh, that's the voice of Rich Miano our resident I football couldn't guru. I could repeat anything
0: anywhere on <laughs> yeah, the no, that's... I've already been fined by the FCC <laughs> how many times on this show.
1: Yeah I know exactly you're walking on eggshells at this point here uh, doing in this uh, guest co-host spot. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Rich and I will get into our best and worst for the day. You're listening to Let's Talk Sports. All right, Fujitsu Air Conditioning Systems includes a special trifecta warranty that will have you saying, I love my Fujitsu. We thank them for their support of Let's Talk Sports. All right, it's the last segment. We're getting to our best and worst, but we do have a caller on the line. Got to make it quick if possible. Matt is on the line. What's up, Matt?
2: Hey, Kanawha, real quick. So I'm just wondering if, if somebody came and said something about Ryan Clark, do you think the first thing he would scream is racism?
1: Ooh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It kind yeah. of depends mm-hmm. on, on what was hard, hard said, to that maybe. One too. Yeah, yeah. Know. You know what? That's a good question, though. I think the two uh, the two white guys in the studio are definitely <laughs> the guys to ask to uh, be able to break down uh, any of those uh, racial questions. No, um, I mean, Thanks interesting. Too. I think it all depends on, on the comment that is made. Uh, and I think in, in this instance, um, it just it's it, there is a little bit of a line that seems to have been crossed and, and just is like, you know, a little bit of a shameless effort to just kind of try to make waves and, and get attention.
0: Thank God he didn't attack the ethnicity and the Samoan Polynesian. Exactly,
1: yeah. Hey, thanks a lot for the question, Matt. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's get to our uh, best and worst.
0: Uh, what is
1: your best here, Rich Miano?
0: My best is, you know, the Maui strong thing. The donations continue to come in, and they're going to have to, hopefully, for many, many, many months, if not years. But the... Jazz Clippers game that's yeah. played here, which is always usually a sellout. Hawaii gets so excited about that. That could generate a, a lot of revenue for Maui. What an outstanding thing for the NBA, for these two teams in particular, to do for Maui. This is more than just us giving to each other. There are outside entities that want to help, and that's what we need is the whole country, if not the whole world, to help. No,
1: no, that's exactly right. Clippers uh, holding their training camp in Hawaii again. Uh, they have a preseason game on on october 8th against the jazz at simplify arena at stan sheriff center and they are going to double that as a benefit for the recovery efforts on maui from the wildfires uh, so uh, something that the team announced today uh, the proceeds will be donated to the maui strong fund so uh, yeah that's just very cool and that actually ties into my best uh, because oregon which is coming to town they're a top 10 team nationally in women's volleyball they were on the precipice of making it to the Final Four last year, part of this loaded field here this weekend uh, in Manoa. Uh, but they had an exhibition game this past weekend against Portland State, and they doubled that as a supply drive for the efforts in the recovery to the wildfires on Maui. They have a couple of players, Elise Ferreira, uh, who grew up in Bakersfield, California, but has family on the Big Island. They have Carson Bacon, who was like a sixth-year senior middle blocker. She has family on Maui, or, or has family that back to Maui. And so uh, they took it upon themselves. Their players on the team took it upon themselves to suggest, hey, look, let's try to do something here. And so they ran the marketing campaign. They did all of the publicity for it. They helped uh, get some of the support from the administration to put on a supply drive. And that's just really cool. The team was hoping to bring a lot of what they raised with them, uh, but then they said it was just too much. Like The, wow. the reaction and the response was overwhelming. And so now they've uh, put them in the boxes and they're shipping them here To Oahu. Uh, And so it's just uh, yet another way uh, where communities elsewhere around the country are are pitching in to try to help in whatever way they can. But what a cool story that is. All right, let's flip it over to the worst. What's your worst here, Rich? The
0: worst we could do a whole show on. We (laughs) might be able to do three hours on because this really perturbs me in terms of when you think about – this new format in high school football where IA just announced they're canceling their game against Kahuku. I just watched the game on a neighbor island. We, there's no perfect formula in terms of scheduling in football, but you have to think about a very violent collision type of sport. And you cannot have Kahuku play IAEA. It's not fair to any of the kids. When you lose 100 to zero or 72 to nothing, you physically get beat up. You mentally get beat up. You quit the sport you love so much. And again, I don't know if it's the HHS Saa Christian, I don't know if it's the Oia Harold Tanaka and those guys, Ray, Raymond Fujino. I don't know if it's the ILH and Blaine Geisen. They're all good people. I think they all have good intentions, but they have to get in a room and try to make this where it's equitable, where it's where it's safe, where it's fair, where it will promote the sport of football and not kill the sport of football. And I'm just pissed off that it's already been 161 to seven in some of these games. That Talking have about been open, teams open teams versus Division One teams, teams. and there is a better formula. If you're doing something, you look at formulas, whether it's red, white, and blue, whether it's one, two, or three, whatever it is, again, you're going to get some mismatches, but not the kind of mismatches that are currently on the schedule. Yeah, I kind of thought that was the whole point of the
1: divisions, and going to the three divisions was was to avoid those kinds of matchups as much as possible, so uh, interesting there. Uh, All right, my worst, real quick, you mentioned the uh, documentary Swamp Kings, part of the Netflix Untold series, I watched it, it's my worst, because uh, (laughs) it was like just, you know, uh, it, it, it was this whole Urban Meyer kind of like love fest. He was sitting there. He was very proud of it. He he absolutely signed off on it. And it was like, well, how about all the controversy around those teams, which is what makes the story interesting to begin with. Aaron Hernandez Carbon was on those teams. crying I mean, come on. So it just glossed all that over oh, yeah. and didn't really. So in other words, the series called Untold, there was a lot of that Swamp King story that went untold. untold. Rich Miano, appreciate it. Thanks to Kendra Ham. See you next time, everybody.